0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, despite rail blockages coming down in British Columbia, they are still up in Ontario. How come? We talk about the race for conservative leader and new damning charges against Huawei. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, the latest uh, with the via rail stoppage and indigenous protests. Uh, For more on this, let's bring in uh, Jonah Semple, videographer, Global News, and is with us now. Jonah, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Yeah, happy to be here. Thank
0: you for having me. So, uh, what's what's it like? Give us a bit of an update. We're hearing that there is some movement, uh, you know, as far as uh, British Columbia and such. Any chance of any protests down towards the east that uh, are, are going to free up a bit? What are you? What's going on there?
1: Well, things are pretty quiet here. Uh, there's not. That- too much movement or uh, things are pretty status quo from what they were. We are on day nine of uh, this blockade, but there there is going to be a community meeting um, that is going to be open for the community in Tandenega. That happened right before um, tomorrow's a discussion with Canadian Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller. That discussion has been confirmed by the Chief Don Miracle, who uh, is hoping for some positive dialogue and a positive outcome. And when asked, you know, what, what does that positive outcome look like? He says, well, we can't get ahead of that. We, we need to have uh, the dialogue first and see what, what is being put on the table.
0: Uh, obviously, as we know, the elected band councils have approved this. Hereditary chiefs uh, not so much and uh, are, are standing in the way of this. Uh, has there been any sort of uh, chatter as to what they are looking for or what kind of demands must be met before these rail lines can be opened?
1: I mean, there was a lot of talk about, uh, about peace. And about you know wishing the wet to wet in community, um, you know wishing for them to have a positive outcome. Um, now, obviously, uh, there has been a court injunction prohibiting uh, the rail dis- uh, disruption uh, here, um, and you know there hasn't been any arrests or anything taken like that from the OPP. Um, but things, like you said, have cleared up at West, but here it's still unclear what's going to happen and uh, and and what exactly they they are hoping for. You know, there's a lot of talk about they don't want military-style intervention while they're they're asking for peace and understanding. So.
0: Um, have, I had an interesting conversation with Fifi. Uh, it it uh, again, th- this was set up. This blockade was set up, uh, you know, because of what was going on in BC. The fact that it seems to be there seems to be some movement in British Columbia has not not transferred uh, to the east. Uh, because again, at the end of the day, I thought one was supporting the other.
1: Right. And, and when I asked him about that, you know, there was talk about um, their, their, own, their own problems and their, their own issues um, that this community might be having. So I, I think um, things are kind of uh, maybe even perhaps growing um, when it comes to what they're hoping for. And again, when I asked what exactly do you think those conversations will look like with uh, the minister, uh, Don Miracle, he, he wouldn't be specific. He, he just told me... They, they're hoping to keep uh, a positive dialogue about whatever it is they're, looking, they're they are hoping for
0: so this has moved from uh, support for what is going on in BC to their own uh, issues and and concerns that they want addressed at this point so it's sort of changed direction has it uh, you know, you
1: know. I think at the end of the day, it's all about the wet to wet in peace and, and for a positive outcome. Because I, I think while they have moved the blockades away from out west, that uh, that perhaps they're still hoping for a, a positive outcome out that way. So um, again, Don Miracle, when I spoke to him on the phone, he was unclear about what exactly they were hoping for and wanting. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, they're looking forward to having that conversation with uh, with the minister tomorrow.
0: So any sort of timeline on any of this? Uh, I, I guess a lot rests on these discussions moving forward.
1: Yeah, because, you know, there was talks that it was supposed to end yesterday and then talks again that it was supposed to end today. So um, a positive outcome, when I asked, well, does a positive outcome mean the blockade will end? He, uh, he said, well, you know, the media is getting ahead of themselves here. We need to have this open dialogue and, and even just see what's going to be discussed before we can talk about this blockade ending. So uh,
0: We know that uh, the majority of Indigenous communities along these routes uh, support this. Is there any uh, support the pipe? Line. Is there any chatter within the indigenous community, uh, you know, as far as people who do support this?
1: Um, you know, that's unclear. And, and when the media tries to uh, discuss uh, with the protesters, you know, what exactly their hope and motivation is, um, you know, we, we are being kept at a distance and being told, you know, if they want to speak to us, they will approach us. So uh, at this point, media is kind of being kept back, kind of wondering and waiting. Also, you know what what is going to happen?
0: Uh, was there uh, a- any sort of direction? I understand media has been moved back from where uh, the actual protest protesters are. Has there been any sort of conditions set as to what you can and can't do?
1: I mean, uh, we are, we are being kept about a hundred meters back. Um, And, you know, out of uh, out of respect, they are asking us to to stay away and that if they are not approached to to have conversations, they say if they do want to have conversations, they will approach us.
0: All right. Jonah Semple has been with us, videographer, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News tonight at five thirty and six for more on all of this. Jonah, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Yeah, thank you for
0: having me. All right, let's bring in uh, Marvin Ryder, uh, the business professor at the Groot School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Glad to be here, Scott. So what does it mean to business industry when rail lines like this are shut down? I think the easiest way
2: to understand this is that cn rail let's leave via out of this for the moment that's the passenger service but cn rail transports around 250 billion dollars worth of goods every year if you divide that then by your 365 days that's about 750 million dollars worth of goods every single day of the year that get transported and much of that is in the east now there is some of it in the west obviously oil grains things like that out of the west but the manufactured goods that this route between Montreal and uh, Windsor that gets used that's that's the biggest part of that 750 million dollars so to have it shut down whether it's a day or a week or a month huge economic repercussions from all of this
0: and Via Rail has announced it's canceled most of its trains uh, nationwide Uh, in the eastern section I guess it has been closed down as we head into day nine are you are you surprised we've lasted this long with this
2: well, I am for a couple of reasons here. First, uh, the, the protest isn't actually about CN Rail. CN Rail is harmless here. They haven't done anything. They are the instrument of the blockade, but this isn't somebody mad at CN. They're mad at a pipeline in British Columbia. Number two, because they aren't central to this, CN has gone to the courts the way any private business would do and say, look, uh, courts, this is wrong, and the courts have agreed and said, you're right, this is wrong. Here's an Here's an order. Uh, Uh, Cease and desist. Uh, You're blocking public traffic. You need to get out of the road. The problem from CN's standpoint is enforcement. Uh, The police, with the uh, uh, injunctions, have said this to the protesters. In essence, they walked up to them and said, okay, folks, this is an illegal protest. You need to break up. And the protesters have said no and they said okay well uh we'll think about what we're going to do next and that's that's in essence the problem in a way i think the protesters would love a show of force uh would love to have the police move in and drag them away or 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 maybe even get the batons out so then suddenly there's a little bloodshed Mm -hmm. uh that would actually then fortify the call for more blockades so we want a peaceful way to resolve it but when, when we're not clear now uh, What's going to do that and, and Here's the third part then The blockade by the Wet Wet'suwet'en people Themselves in British Columbia Has been taken down yeah. and removed mm-hmm. so, so the people in Ontario are saying Well our, our concerns are bigger than that Oh my god Where are we going now?
0: Yeah because initially the whole reason For that blockade out east Was to, to support what was going on In British Columbia and, right. and again I asked our reporter out there Why now this one uh, was remaining blocked And she said that they said Well they have their own issues now That they're dealing with
2: Right they want to go through A bigger bigger set of issues uh, And I presume they'll want to meet The provincial in this case The Ontario uh, minister involved With First Nations Affairs As well along with the federal one uh, And so if I'm the If I'm Prime Minister Trudeau, of course, the one I'm trying to resolve first is British Columbia because it was the trigger point, but now I don't know what the issues are in Ontario, and I don't know what it's going to take to go away. I hate to say it to you like this, Scott, but sometimes protesters just enjoy protesting. And yeah. once they get the blockade set up, it's, uh, and in this case, the blockade, I think I don't know if everyone can picture this, this isn't a couple of uh, sawhorses on the tracks. we have talking about mobile homes, uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, camper vans, those sorts of things. a Half a dozen or more that have set up, and they've got, uh, of course, they've got pallets, they're burning for wood to heat themselves, and mm. so I mean, it's gotten to be quite the little thing, and therefore, how do you get them to take it down? So for CN, they're saying, what they'd been doing was we will call it a standby idle they had trains sitting in toronto ready to go down the track as soon as the blockade was removed well you just can't leave them sitting in standby idle all this time so they said well the only thing we can do now is just shut down and uh, we hope that we can turn the lights back on fairly quickly, but whether that will be two hours or two days, no one knows exactly, and everything is just parked now, and I, I really can't blame them. They have done all they can to make the lifeblood flow. Now it's uh, somebody else who's got to take the turn.
0: Uh, and we remember when CN was in a, in a strike position uh, a few yes. months ago, and, and there was great pressure on them to settle this, and it, they did within a week or so. So, you know, you're thinking that was a week. This is moving on to nine days. Uh, it's Fascinating how that managed to to eke through a settlement and the pressure put on uh, by government and industry to get something done. And yet with this, we're still at day nine with nothing.
2: Right. Now, one big difference, of course, was during the strike, it affected all of Canada. This seems to be affecting more eastern Canada. So remember, this is a prime minister who was elected with no representation out of Alberta and Saskatchewan. It was people in Alberta and Saskatchewan in the fall said, how are we supposed to move our grain? How are we supposed to move our oil? You see, you really don't care about us at all, prime minister. So there was a greater sensitivity. Those things are moving in the West. It's Ontario now who's got the shorthand of the stick and to some extent Quebec and um, uh, I'm not saying we're more or less important, it's just a different different set of importances here, uh, but these protesters they, they have set up, and here's the thing I also worry, will they be emboldened by this? So I'm not trying to give them ideas, Scott but if you are upset about this blockade what if they chose to blockade the GO Transit lines? Yeah. What if they decide to blockade the TTC lines in Toronto and suddenly see no subways moving? My gosh, talk about snarling the situation. Are we emboldening people who aren't happy about something to do even more blockading
0: uh should the prime minister be here on this should he be personally addressing this
2: well, I, I, again, I suspect that the protesters uh, are, are just thrilled at the timing. The prime minister had scheduled this trip abroad right. primarily to campaign around a, a seat on the Security Council. This is something Canada has been wanting since uh, Stephen Harper. Were, this is now almost 20 years that we've been trying to do this. So he had this all set up. I will not be surprised if this continues uh, through the rest of today that we may hear the prime minister is going to cut his trip short. He's going to come back himself. He clearly has senior cabinet ministers who are doing some talking on his behalf. But if that's what it takes to have the prime minister walk in, I think this prime minister will do that. It's just that he's got these other things set up and is so close to the vote on that Security Council seat. He really wants that, but he, uh, peace at home always trumps peace of the United Nations. Uh,
0: the majority of uh, indigenous communities along these routes have approved uh, this pipeline. We're talking about uh, the natural gas pipeline in regard to their gas de- link, which yes. they're demonstrating, uh, protesting for in British Columbia. Uh, the majority of indigenous communities on board with these. We talked to uh, an MLA from Skeena earlier on in the week, British Columbia, and and what amazes me and all. all All of this, and we were discussing this, is that there's more attention paid to this small group, which is fortified through anti-pipeline protesters, than we are the indigenous communities who want this and will benefit from it.
2: Well, I can also say that a little differently. We actually have, if you will, one group of First Nations people against a different group of First Nations yeah. people.
0: So. Um, and this yeah. is very much painted as a battle between Canada and its indigenous community. But as this gentleman said, it, that's not the case. This is, this is, is, is a political infighting within the indigenous community itself between right. elected ban officials and hereditary chiefs.
2: And, and in a way, this is a microcosm of the challenges around truth and reconciliations with our First Nations people. Mm. You know, who are you reconciling with? So in many cases, we have attempted to meet with the banned councils. These are the elected representatives of various tribes across Canada. And we meet with them, and they go, yes, we're all in favor of this. So 20 banned councils along the coastal gas pipeline have all said, we want this. We also want to invest in this. We want the jobs for our people. They all see it. Very positively the people leading the protest are the traditional chiefs and clan mothers who first noted that we were consulted but you never got our agreement and we do not recognize the band council's right to to approve this on behalf of us and this is the challenge if i come then south of the coastal gas link pipeline to the one we talked about most recently the trans mountain pipeline 239 different aboriginal groups have been consulted. 230 of those groups have signed on. Nine have not. And d- does this mean that even one? group have the right to veto something that the other 230 are okay with or in some cases want uh, it, it, so it does very quickly become a very complicated issue it's it's one of the reasons why it is so hard to balance all of these different rights and responsibilities are you talking to the right person? What does getting a yes from that group really mean if another group can come along and say, I don't recognize their yes vote? And Scott, to bring it close to home, this was the exact same problem in Caledonia that yeah. we had not that many years ago. Mm-hmm. The Caledonia Band Council were fine with the development. I think this was called the Douglas Creek Estates, but it was the traditional chiefs and clan mothers who were not. Yeah. And that property still sits uh, empty, and the one home on there is still occupied today. It's been almost 20 years later. That has never been fully resolved.
0: Marvin Ryder with us, business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University, talking about the rail stoppages. Marvin, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show podcast on 900 CHML. Where is our prime minister on rail blockades? Oddly enough, uh, he's giving a press conference right now in Germany where he is being grilled by this uh, in regard to the blockade and fascinating to say that uh, when he's been asked if he will, um, you know, enforce the rule of law, he basically uh, said he's not telling the police what to do and that, uh, they're professionals and, and um, it's up to them to figure out what to do which uh, I think a lot of reporters were surprised at, then asking him if he was going to come home early on this trip. Uh, He's heading off again next week to go to uh, Barbados, I believe it is. So, uh, at this point, he's uh, just going to stay out of the country while all this goes on and leave it up to the governments of British Columbia and uh, Ontario, I guess, to to try to figure all of this out. Uh, Fascinating that now the blockades have come down in British Columbia. How However, they are still up near Belleville when, in fact, this was all in support of what was going on in regard to the Wet'suwet'en Nation out uh, in British Columbia. They've decided to step back from the blockade. Uh, however, in the East, that's not the case. Uh, we have a quick, a quick clip here from Transport Minister Mark Garneau on all of this. The path to resolution of this issue is through dialogue and seeking to build consensus. And that approach has led to real progress in terms of the protests in New Hazelton, British Columbia. When the line was reopened this morning, and this is to Prince Rupert, CN and my officials worked quickly and the appropriate inspections occurred. Within about three hours, trains were running again. All right, that is uh, Transportation Minister uh, Mark Garneau talking about the blockades in British Columbia have come down. Uh, unfortunately, they are still up in um, in uh, the Belleville area. We've asked uh, our reporter that was out there, Jonas Semple. Uh, she was saying that uh, when asked why the blockade had not come down in the east when the one in the west had, uh, they were told. She was told that uh, they have their own issues. Uh, that they're dealing with. So it seems now the reasoning for the blockade has has gone from support uh, for those out West to, I guess, just general uh, disconcern for what is uh, what is going on with the Canadian government. Uh, again, no word at this point, or, uh, no plans at this point uh, of the Prime Minister coming home from his trip. And after this trip, and he's finished in Germany, uh, I believe he's off to uh, Barbados as well. All right, uh, lots to talk about uh, in regard to politics. Let's bring in retired associate professor, University of Waterloo, peter Wollstonecroft uh, talk about uh the conservative leadership and obviously what has been going on uh, with the rail stoppages across the country peter is with us now peter thank you for the time much appreciated uh hello bonjour you're welcome uh, surprised at where we are right now day nine of this rail stoppage
3: yeah and it's going to be a big problem i mean i i heard i heard your news reports about what's happening british columbia uh but uh you know this is this is not one movement this is many many movements it's highly decentralized So, mm-hmm. a decision in bc doesn't affect the people in ontario and uh... our economy anybody who's looked at the map of canada knows there's a very narrow population band in, a cro- in that band there's uh, a few highways and a few r- railroads mm-hmm. easy to block stuff if you want to block it and uh... that's what's happened and uh... this is a big issue because uh, I suspect most people do not know that almost all of British Columbia never was treated; it was un, is not ceded land. Um, so, if you want to put it this this way, as I'm going to put it, it is occupied by uh, colonial people, settlers, uh, without any agreement with the indigenous people who were there, and uh, and so that's that's the one of the underlying points in what's happening in British Columbia. People are saying, we never gave up this land, so please go away.
0: Uh, what, uh, what about the indigenous communities that are in support of this? Uh, you know, a, a lot of the time this is painted as a, a debate, a discussion between Canada and its, uh, and its uh, aboriginal people. Um, but instead, it, this seems to be a, an issue within the indigenous community itself between the hereditary chiefs and the elected band council. Is that accurate
3: uh, yeah and and be, if you have the elected people who who campaign and and in the way that they do it, and it depends from one place to the next what happens, but uh, they 're chosen by the people who are there. The hereditary people have and, and it comp- is I saw a, a description of the hereditary chief system, and it is more complicated than figuring out a moon sh- a shot to Mars. Hmm. Um, but basically, people have uh, inherited the position that they have. And so, and will there ever be a solution? Then, well, you know, I'm going to say this as as respectful as as, as I can is is that uh, there's a the big demand, uh, and I understand the demand for consultation and consent. What does consultation mean? What does consent mean? But then with, within within those words you have many, many groups and within the groups you have maybe two groups like elected people, hereditary people. So, so the process of consultation and securing consent uh, is long and complicated and it's not a simple matter. Of just getting together and deciding, and and also d- depending on where you are, uh, there are um, different expectations about what or b- different understandings of what consent entails. Uh, does it mean everybody, or does it mean hmm. a majority? And and I've had I've had people in the Aboriginal community tell me, well, the concept of majority is a colonial one.
0: Huh. Like mm.
3: we didn't think that way, yeah. or our ancestors did not think that way. Now I think that way because I read John Locke, mm. <laughs> two treatises on government, and I believe in majority government. Mm. But then, and then they would look at me and say, "Well, that's nice. Uh, who's John Locke? We don't read him." So, mm. so there you go. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not taking this all lightly. This is a big, to me, a big cultural clash, uh, and we've been building toward it for a long time. Um, the uh, the the clash of uh, cultures and um, I heard one of the aboriginal leaders this week saying you know when our prime minister talks to and other people talk about the rule of law uh, they talk about the, the common law and the civil law but we we acknowledge that law is there but we also have our law and how come you don't respect and honor our law mm-hmm. and we also believe in natural law which which is a very open-ended concept. Yeah. And all of this has to be uh, recognized. And I go, well, there goes another
0: 10 years. Mm. Should the Prime Minister be at home dealing with this? <laughs> well, interestingly enough, like, well, what happens in British
3: Columbia is a british Columbia matter. Hmm. Uh, and, and the B.C. government would say that. Well, on the other hand, uh, the blockage east of Belleville is a... Is not just a BC matter or an Ontario matter. The OPP is involved. Um, I mean, it is a, it is an interesting question, uh, perhaps not in the way you thought about it, because uh, I know what you're what you're getting at. Like he's he's in Africa and now he's in Germany and he's going to come home and he's going to go to Barbados. And that's mm-hmm. a nice time of year to go. Um, however, however uh, people people recognize. And and this is why the, the the blockers are doing what they're doing, that the railroads are highly consequential for our economy. There mm-hmm. are people expecting medicine,
2: mm-hmm.
3: or and 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 those medicines will not be delivered because the trains are not moving, and and of course there's people whose travel plans are being knocked aside, and there's and the tremendous resources are not being moved, and we're a resource resource based economy. So the economic cost is going to be heavy. Uh, every day that this goes on. So uh, pe- people in our society nowadays put put everything on the prime minister. Uh, everything pivots around the prime minister. And so we expect him to get involved.
0: Well, also, this was a massive issue for him. I mean, uh, he he did a lot to woo the indigenous community's vote during the election, Uh, truth and reconciliation. He he promised to act on all 98 recommendations, which, you know, most would agree is a little over the top. Uh, Has he overpromised and underdelivered here? Well,
3: Scott, maybe not for us to say it's for the indigenous
0: community to say that. Hmm, good point. Well, they used to pay me for that. <laughs> All right, uh, how long do you think this is going to last? We're at day nine, uh, we, we saw the labor uh, unrest that, was, we, uh, that CN experienced a few months ago, and i mind you, that was right across the country, and uh, you know, there's pressure put on them within a week to, to get things settled. Now we're into day nine, how long do you think this is going to take?
3: Well, you know, I'm going to call upon Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, when he talks to Americans, he says one of the things that he loves about Canadians is that they realize that force and hot rhetoric are useless. They recognize that they have to talk and so we do have to talk and we have to make progress through discussion It's going to take uh, some time for that to happen i i i i would i would loathe the prospect of the police charging into these these blocked areas uh, well we
0: remember what happened with ipperwash well, and, and yeah, such or, i mean uh, you know and or, this okay. is is okay. this is this a lot to put on Responsibilities to put on provincial governments. It seems you know, and the prime minister uh, is speaking now. And I was listening to an earlier part of his press conference. He said, uh, when asked if he was going to enforce the rule of law, he said, "We live in a place where we don't tell the police what to do. Uh, They're professionals." And I'm thinking, my goodness, (laughs) you know, it it seems like a lot of buck passing is going on here, and passing the buck to B.C. and Ontario to handle this. Well, big
3: responsibility, and fair enough. I take your point, uh, but I o- also think that we do not want to get to a, a situation where you call in the military. No, and 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 uh, but we have in the past, right? I, re- I refer you to uh, MoCA the very summer that the Meach lake Accord, uh collapsed uh, and and cost uh, the David Pearson government its hold uh, in Ontario because of all the stuff that was going on. Um, uh, the this is this is a big problem, and 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 I'm no advisor to to the people who are doing the doing the blockages. However, I think I I have a pretty good idea how what they would be thinking, and what they would be thinking is we hold an enormous amount of power here, because we can stop the trains from running, and we have supporters outside our own community who are on our side, and if there's any kind of quote-unquote police. Uh, how should I put it? Violence right. or uh, heavy-handed tactics, we win. Yeah. And so because because the op- the, the visuals are powerful, the pictures are strong, mm-hmm. and and if, if people are hurt in the course of the police and, uh, enforcing the quote-unquote rule of law, uh, then the Canadian government is really put back on its heels. So uh, I hope Malcolm Gladwell's insight into canada and it comes out of his own personal experience and i know him and we've talked about it uh that his, his big observation about the canadian sensibility leads people to recognize they have a shared problem and um and and we have to have a shared solution it just and i when i talk about this i often talk about how in ontario when we had problems with the police raiding gay bars and, and Assorted places. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: How how the police and the gay community came together and found solutions to the problems. And we didn't weren't smashing heads like the American cops were doing in the United States. Mm. Not saying that the police relations in Toronto have been perfect by any stretch. However, discussion, understanding, finding points of agreement is the way that Canadians have generally address these kinds of issues. So thank
0: you to Malcolm Gladwell for that. All right. Uh, Former cabinet minister John Baird has announced he will not seek the conservative leadership uh, and announcing that just the other day. Surprised here or again, do we have what we have and and no surprises?
3: Well, we have what we have and uh, I I didn't think he was going to run, but you know, (laughs) we have a buzzless leadership race and it is most peculiar because the Liberals uh, have got big problems. Uh, they were almost knocked out last election and and things are not going to go well for them. The economy is going to take a big hit because of the virus, uh, the, the blockages. Lots of things going on. Some really big decisions are going to have to be made. Uh, there's there's a national unity crisis uh, developing uh, between what's happening in in Western Canada and Quebec has a very different view about what happens should happen on resources. And you would think there'd be all kinds of people who'd say this is my time to lead the country. And yet, some really big names have steps aside. So you have two names. And uh... from my conversation with conservatives, they go really? Is this all we got? Hmm. The big hole is, well, there's nobody from Western Canada, uh, and there's nobody from Quebec. And one of the things you want in a leadership convention, uh, a leadership race, is to energize people. And, And so Quebec will miss out. And yet, ironically, what happens in Quebec will very much determine uh, the result of this race, whether it's Peter McKay or or tool, The other thing is I think there is a, a very strong social conservative candidate who's met so so far have met the requirement. Her her name is Leslyn Lewis. She comes from Toronto, a uh, um, um, visible minority candidate, w- well-credentialed in terms of her education, well-spoken. Uh, I don't know what kind of force she, she will be, Social conservatives get about 15% of the vote, 20% of the vote within conservative circles. But she may actually determine who the winner is if it's a close race. And Mr. O'Toole is in a far distant place now, but maybe he's got some legs.
0: Uh, this Peter McKay's to lose? Yep, absolutely. Yeah.
3: For everything I hear from my my friends. but I, I uh, However, I, I, don't, I don't see Peter mania. Or McKay mania <laughs> I, I just I haven't run into anybody yeah you know it's sort of like some
0: are uh, many many are underwhelmed about his debut in all of this Oh uh,
3: yes it was it was surprisingly inept yeah in, and it, some
0: people were almost saying, well, where's Andrew Shear when we need him <laughs> Peter Wollstonecroft has been with us, retired associate professor University of Waterloo Peter as always thank you so much for the time yep. much appreciated bye bye <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show Podcast on 900 CHML. New charges leveled against Huawei uh, from the United States. Uh, These, from what I understand, do not directly involve uh, the Huawei CFO, which is now being held in Vancouver. And these are different, unrelated charges uh, in regard to racketeering. Uh, the U.S. has leveled new charges of theft and racketeering against Huawei. Uh, meanwhile, TELUS plans on rolling out the five their 5G network using Huawei tech. To talk more on all of this, Phil Calvert is with us, fellow Canadian Global Affairs Institute and senior fellow with the China Institute of the University of Alberta, and with us now. Phil, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Hi, Scott. Nice to talk to you. Uh, New charges uh, from the U.S. uh, against Huawei. How does this change the discussion? Does it change the discussion?
4: Well, it adds more to it. Um, this is this these new charges. What they launched was a uh, launch was this kind of indictment. They call a superseding indictment, which is really it, it brings everything together. So all the original charges and the original indictment that was launched last year, plus new uh, new new evidence and new pressure on uh, on Huawei, new discussions, um, and new uh, examples of intellectual property theft that they uh, they believe Huawei is engaged in. Uh, new uh, uh, concerns uh, that they've raised about Huawei's activities and connections with North Korea against, again, against UN sanctions this time. So this adds to the list of concerns that the U.S. has been raising and and puts additional pressure on Huawei uh, with respect to to, uh, their behavior. And, uh, you know, the U.S. is already going after Huawei. They have already uh, barred uh, purchases of certain Huawei products and everything. So this just puts... Additional pressure on the whole situation, and probably uh, you know polarizes more uh, the U.S. and China's positions on this issue.
0: Uh, and I understand these new charges are not necessarily related to the Huawei CFO, which is ne- who is now being detained in Vancouver.
4: Yeah, there's nothing new uh, against uh, Meng Wanzhou and uh, the, the Huawei CFO. There's nothing new, no new evidence, or no new charges against her. Uh, those remain, and those, as you know, are under under consideration now by a judge as they as your extradition process uh, uh, it, it moves forward. So these so, new, uh, well these new against her, but s- uh, but new pressure because this raises uh, this. In addition, you mentioned the Telus decision. This you know raises the whole profile level of Huawei case again. It, it puts more pressure on the issue. I think probably on the prime minister and others to 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 uh, see how this is going to unfold and you know and of course we have two Canadians who are in jail in mm. retaliation uh, to uh, from China for for her arrest so this is you know very important for Canada so
0: uh, how will this or could this affect uh, the case regarding the CFO
4: um i don't know if it'll add anything more to the case against her there is no more additional evidence against her although uh, one legal expert has argued that while racketeering isn't a you know a charge in Canada uh, there are aspects of the racketeering charges that would apply against this, but against the Meng Wanzhou case, I don't think it's going to change the case. It just it's going to uh, certainly increase uh, U.S. pressure in the sense that if if the government were to decide, you know, not to proceed, or if the judge decided that the, they weren't going to proceed with extradition against her, then increases the profile of it, and you know, the U.S. Uh, more reason for the U.S. to be. Uh, um, upset if that's the way the, the case goes. Uh,
0: as you mentioned, uh, TELUS, and we were mentioning earlier, TELUS is uh, planning to roll out uh, its 5G network using Huawei technology. Uh, obviously, the government hasn't ruled on this yet. Is TELUS overstepping its, its bounds here, or uh, is this just normal progression for them?
4: I mean, they know what the situation is clearly. They know that the government's considering a ban on Huawei. So I think what they're trying to do is force the issue and, and, and kind of call Canada's bluff and say, well, if you're not going to ban Huawei, then let's, uh, we right. want to proceed. So this, this I think, more than the the, the U.S. chargers and the new U.S. indictment, this puts more pressure on the government to make, make a decision about Huawei and make a decision about whether or not Huawei technology is going to, 5G technology is going to be banned in Canada. And they're going to have to, I think, probably make a decision soon.
0: Uh, We obviously heard uh, what direction the U.K. went uh, a few weeks ago saying that they would open the door and not let Huawei into critical, uh, the the critical backbone infrastructure, but certainly would allow them around the perimeter. Um, You know, obviously with that position, um, you, you have to think that Canada may go the same direction as the U.K. does this Make that more difficult. I mean, how would the UK react to this? Do you think?
4: Well, the UK, I think, would probably be uh, be fine with uh, if a a similar if Canada made a similar decision, then the UK would probably feel like they had some kind of ally in this approach. Uh, But I think the US reaction would be very, very strong against us, especially given this latest indictment. Um, They've already they reacted pretty strongly against the. the, uh, the UK's decision and uh, the rumor is stories are that uh, you know uh, that Donald Trump had a very very uh, you know difficult phone call with Boris Johnson and was angry on the phone etc. So you know if we were to to go the same way, um, it would uh, you know there would be strong U- right reaction from the White House and from the security agencies. A senator has just warned again again uh, I guess yesterday a U.S. senator who's on the the uh, the Intelligence Committee warned Canada against doing this. So the signals are very clear from, from the United States. Also, you know, we've had uh, two two different security agencies, uh, CSIS and the Communication Security Establishment, that uh, uh, both have, have, have said different things. Uh, the CSC and the CSIS have said different things about whether we can uh, have a facility to uh, you know, defend Canada against any potential, you know, uh, intelligence threats through Huawei five G, and so, so they're not, not on the same page on this already. So, um, you know, it'd be probably a difficult argument with uh, with the uh, with the U S. to say that we are able to to maintain this uh, security in the face of if you were
0: are we already technology. are we already too deep in to stop this now deep into 5G? Yeah, well, it, 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 Huawei already too deep into the Canadian economy, the Canadian infrastructure to turn around now.
4: Judging from what the companies are saying, that this is going to be uh, costly for them if they were to have to, if we were to move to another supplier. If Huawei couldn't supply it, their plans are based on, I think their expectations are based on the less expensive uh, 5G technology from Huawei. But you know, on the other hand, I don't think there's a lot of sympathy out there for some of the telecoms companies that we have. there. we have some of the most expensive, you know, cell uh, charges in the world or that sort of thing. So I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that tell us or the other companies are suffering mm-hmm. so um i guess it depends on whether what price people are willing to pay for for security
0: at the end of the day this all does come down to cost doesn't it it's about getting it yeah. cheaper
4: it comes down to cost and uh some people say that technology is better but um it comes down to cost and timing you probably be able to get it sooner uh, but uh, it also is very political. I mean, it's certainly cost for the companies, but it's a very political decision here because it is linked to other things. It's linked to the two uh, the two Michaels, uh, Michael Spavor, Michael yep. Kovrig, who are in prison, and the fact that that was in reaction to the arrest of Meng Wanzhou. So it's it's not just cost, it's cost, I, I suppose, from a, a business perspective, right. but the political dynamics are very uh, important here, too. and. You know, frankly, I think if the government were to approve Huawei, uh, 5G technology now, while the two Canadians are still in prison, there'd be a pretty strong reaction in Canada. There'd mm-hmm. be, you know, a, a lot of political backlash, and, and justifiably so. I mean, uh, that, their case is directly linked to Huawei.
0: If, um, if we can't trust China with the two Michaels, how can we trust them with the 5G network?
4: Well, I guess that's one question. It gets back to uh, respect for rule of law and and what uh, uh, you know. Uh, can we trust that? Um, China has been very, uh, uh, you know, the behavior with the two Michaels has been very egregious. Uh, you know, we know they did this in response to uh, in response to Meng Manjo's arrest, and they are uh, now that the two the, the two Canadians are. Uh, starting to enter the whole uh, formal judicial uh, process in China. Uh, they've been turned over to the prosecuting agency. Now, that makes, puts more pressure on Canada to do something as well from the Chinese side. So we're really squeezed right now.
0: Uh, does this discussion come up between uh, uh, leadership in China and Donald Trump when when they're discussing trade and, and all of these other things? Does this not come up? I mean, I, I find it hard to believe, especially in regard to the detainment of the two Michaels, uh, that this doesn't come up. And, and, and China doesn't seem to understand, or I'm sure they do, that uh, it's, it's the United States states is the reason that the huawei cfo is being held on an international warrant why don't they deal with it that way and instead of bullying canada
4: uh well there's a couple of reasons one is there's a chinese expression that's called uh uh killing the chicken to frighten the monkeys <laughs> so you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's a way to to set an example um but i think also uh, more uh, uh, significantly, uh, is that uh, the, China sees this all as a big, I think, a big geopolitical uh, uh, strategy.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: A big uh, a, a big dynamic that is, that Canada has been wittingly or unwittingly uh, caught up in. And they see Canada as an ally of the United States, which is not unreasonable. Um, but they see, you know, the rest of Meng Wanzhou as part of a larger uh, effort on the part of the United States, through proxies as well as directly, to uh, not only uh, stifle uh, the rise of Huawei, but to stifle China's rise in the world as a global economic and political power. So it's seen as one element of a grander, a grander strategy to keep China down. That's, I think, how they see it. And so that's part of the reason they react so fiercely. Um, and, and with respect to the two Michaels, I, I'm not sure that that comes up in any kind of conversation between uh, Donald Trump and, uh, and Xi Jinping. Um, I think they are more concerned with uh, the future of Huawei and the future of their, uh, this flagship company in the world.
0: Many look at China as uh, the golden goose, technology, lots of economic opportunity and such. Now, obviously, they're, they're trapped with the coronavirus. How does that change world perception of China? I mean, can, you know, design a, a phenomenal 5G network but can't keep its food chain free of contamination.
4: Well, I mean, this has been the, the, uh, uh, I guess, the the, uh, 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 irony or the the, the aspect of China is a very complicated place. It has – China is is very diverse and it has – some great technology in the cities. Some great uh, technology globally. I mean, many places I've been to in China where you can't pay in cash now. You can only pay with with your phone. Mm. Um, I mean, it's very advanced in a lot of ways. Uh, but there are certain aspects of this uneven development that that, uh, especially with related to food safety, that uh, have an impact on uh, on on the whole country. So you know, it's not uh, all uh, it's not not all consistent. Um, you know, China is seen as a great uh, uh, you know, economy for the future, a great opportunity. Canada has been very active pursuing opportunities in China for years. Uh, it, but I, I think there are two things about this. One is that I think that's this might our pursuit of uh, of the China golden goose, as you say, may have been at the expense of pursuing a stronger uh, you know relationships, uh, certainly on the private sector and and the government, st- stronger economic relationships elsewhere in Asia. Uh, such as Japan or Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, uh, or Taiwan, um, and uh, and secondly, you know, China itself, its economy is changing. Even before coronavirus hit, China's economy is uh, was slowing down. It's an aging population. Uh, the labor costs are getting higher. They are having to make some kind of transformation to more uh, innovation, more high technology. Uh, but it, the overall economic growth is is not going to be at the same pace that it has been in the last couple of decades. So they have, this becomes a political issue as well. And on top of this with coronavirus, you know there are a lot of internal stresses that China has to handle.
0: Uh, where do you see Canada going on 5G with Huawei? Uh, and, and why do you think the delay? I mean, is it because the two Michaels are in captivity that, that, that they're not moving forward on this? Uh, why, why not just get it done?
4: Um, I think the delay becomes, I suspect the delay comes out of, uh, of uncertainty as to exactly how to handle this, and uncertainty as to what to do if uh, if they you know if they were to approve five G while this uh, issue with uh, the two Michaels, uh goes on. If they were to approve Huawei, I think there's just a lot of indecision there right now. We've seen full responses on a lot of issues from the government, and you know over the last uh, few months, including the most recent issue with the. Uh, um, Indigenous people's uh, demonstrations and the shutting down that you mm-hmm. mentioned of, uh, of transportation. There's been slow response, slow, uh, not a lot of leadership. So I think this is another one where the government is not certain which direction to take. And they haven't made any kind of decision yet. And, uh, or if they have, they're unwilling to, uh, to let us know. But I, I think it comes from indecision rather than any kind of strategic uh, management of the issue.
0: Uh, you know, we hear that extradition t- uh, treaties can take forever. Um, are you concerned about the length of uh, time it will take before uh, the extradition case in Vancouver makes its way through the courts? I mean, this could go on forever.
4: Um, I think it could take a long time, and it, this is of concern. Uh, you know, uh, there, there is a chance that the judge will decide uh, after this first hearing that uh, that, uh that what Meng Wanzhou is charged with is not a crime in Canada, the whole issue uh, of dual criminality and whether that has to be, you know, when you're going to do an extradition, the crime has to be a crime in Canada as well as in the other country. Um, There's a chance the judge will decide that that isn't the case. Uh, But my guess is is that the judge will probably say, yes uh, bank fraud is a crime in canada this is the evidence and it will proceed in which case it's going to take months or years uh before this is resolved um and that is of concern my main concern is the health of uh, of the two michael yeah um, being in prison for that long uh, it's going to be physically and mentally very very difficult e- even
0: if they were to come home tomorrow my goodness uh who yeah. who knows what
4: they've been through it's they've been through a tremendous amount and it's uh, it's very sad and it's uh uh, it's a side of engagement with the China that we all have to be uh, careful about.
0: And so let's say the uh, extradition warrant uh, goes through and uh, and the Huawei CFO is sent to the United States. How does that change the relationship between China and the United States once it, it moves from Canada to becoming U.S.'s problem?
4: Um, I think... Uh there are things that are already difficult between China and the United States. It's just going to make it more difficult if t- trying someone like that in the United States is going to put a tremendous, uh, you know, a, a, a tremendous strain on an already strained relationship. But that said, the U.S. has a lot more tools to respond to the kind of pressure tactics that China has been uh, exercising with Canada. So, uh, in, in that sense, they're in a better, better position. But it's going to make is going to further add more difficulty to the, the bilateral relationship.
0: Phil Calvert has been with us, fellow Canadian Global Affairs Institute and senior fellow with the China Institute of the University of Alberta. Phil, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott.